It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 13 AFC Team Previews Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardish, and joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, PFF's finest host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, Kevin Cole. Kevin, happy Week 13, man. We are freaking, let's see, two more weeks basically away from the start of the fantasy playoffs for most people. What a time to be alive. What's going on, man? Yeah, yeah. For most people, although some people, I've heard rumors, I've never actually seen one out in the wild that there are fantasy football leagues that begin on week 14 <laughs> and there are buys in week 14. No way. How many teams are on buys? Let's see. Six. There's six, six in week 14. teams. Holy Lord. So yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if this is part of a 32 team league that people have going on that they feel necessity. Maybe they need to build buys into their own playoff format, which, you know, can, can be useful if you have a 16 team league or something like that. But um, yeah, still, I, I feel, I feel sorry for those people. I mean, Dwayne McFarlane and I, we did uh, eight of the FFPC entries, and we were lucky enough to get six of those squads in the playoffs. But the way they do it is weeks 13 and 14 are playoffs between your league and then the winner from the league then advances to, you know, this mass bigger tournament in weeks 15 uh, through 17. So, yeah, not exactly ideal. A lot of these squads with DeAndre Hopkins would have been a lot cooler if uh, he could be out there when the playoffs are there. But you know what? Everyone has to follow the same rules, and accordingly, we will just watch the film and try to get better. But one other thing on early playoffs. Speaking of early playoffs, uh, I got a note in my inbox today about Scott Fishbold. Scott Fishbold, the offseason uh, expert slash fan uh, experience where there's like a billion teams as part of this thing here. This is – I'm not even really paying attention to what's going on there, but – uh, we're already past one week of the playoffs in that in that format. There are 1,300 teams still alive. So I looked on there. Uh, my team ranked, I think it was 99th or 98th. So props to me. Although I have to say, I did uh, also look up Ian Harditz and, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't see anything there, bud. Yeah, when uh, when when you go with the two two quarterback uh, you know system and super flex and one of those quarterbacks was Trey Lance, uh, things are not going to work no out excuses. too no excuses. well. No excuses. Uh, play like a champion. All right, let's get into our AFC breakdown. Starting off with the AFC East and our first place eight and three Miami Dolphins. Really going to get tested this week though in San Francisco. 49ers are four point favorites. Game total at forty six and a half. So this will just be an awesome litmus test for Tua and really the entire passing game to find out. Just 
just how good they really are because you look at the hot stretch that they have been undergoing and it's come against some objectively terrible defenses. Texans, Browns, Bears, Lions. Those have been the four opponents that Tua has gotten to face off against and sink his teeth into since having that, you know, infamous four dropped interception Sunday night performance against the Steelers. So, Kevin, I'm not expecting Tua and company to completely, you know, turn back into a shoe or whatever the hell the Cinderella thing is at midnight against this defense. There's a pumpkin Pumpkin, involved in that one. Go ahead. (laughs) I don't think they turn back into a shoe. Okay, good call by you there. That said, like, how do you think we're going to see this passing game perform here? Because the 49ers do play a lot of zone, which Tua has really been able to dissect far better than man. And even if Tua is average, like we've seen that Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are far more than average. And okay. Let me quickly fix that. I'm not trying to say Tua is an average quarterback here. If the 49ers' great defense, Nick Bosa and company, are able to make him a bit more average than he's been, what do you think is the ceiling for this offense? Because, again, just the fact that the game total is only at 46.5, the 49ers are favored by four, I get the feeling that Vegas is balking a little bit about this, what's been really a juggernaut passing offense over the past month of action out of Miami. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about going from one extreme to another. We're going from a game where Tua had uh, one yard away from 300 passing yards, which hurt in some of my bonus leagues where I have Tua on 300 passing yards, doing it basically through two quarters. I mean, he was in there a little bit after that. So he's going to go from that to what arguably could be playing like the best defense in the NFL right now. We have four straight weeks. The 49ers have given up zero points in the second half. They pitched a shutout with the help of some fumble luck against the New Orleans Saints last week. So yeah, it, all these things make sense as far as how it's down. The key here, and this is always being able to parse whether we're talking about small sample size versus impact is Teron Armstead now being out for the Miami Dolphins. What you did see after he went out, and again, we don't know, you, you, it's it's a small sample, but still Tua took four sacks in this game and was under a lot more pressure after Armstead went out, and they basically pulled him after getting a number of scary hits, quite honestly, uh, during that that portion, the late second quarter into the early third quarter of the ball game. So that's what we're going to have to look for on this one. So I think it makes sense to say the ceiling is much, much lower for this offense here, but I think they'll get a couple of scores, and you'll get some passing, and you have that narrow passing offense, which means you're still firing up Waddle and Tariq Hill, of course, uh, wherever you have them. Offense is built to get the ball out of Tua's hands quickly. And honestly, that's been, in my opinion, the most impressive part about him this season. If you look at it on the year, tied for third in average time to release, just 2.5 seconds. But he still has the fourth highest average target depth at 9.7. I mean, that's some Tom Brady level shit. I mean, looking at last year, I mean, just getting the ball out of your hands that quick to avoid the sacks while still having the downfield mentality. No surprise that Tua, when getting the ball out in under two seconds, leads the league in yards per attempt, average target depth, and a quarter. Accordingly, PFF passing grade. So awesome matchup here. You said it, Tyreek Waddle. We're starting them no matter what. I mean, first and fifth, I believe, in the league in receiving yards. Absolutely great seasons from both of them. What about Jeff Wilson? We did have him get a little bit banged up last week. Return to the game. I guess the bigger concern would be the return of Raheem Moser combined with a matchup against the league's second best defense in PPR points per game allowed to running backs. I have right now Jeff Wilson as my RB19, low end RB2 alongside guys like like Zeke, Singletary, Pacheco, too high or too low? No, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I think he is the lead back, but 
you talk about a 1A, 1B type of situation, although it seems like maybe just because he is a little bit heftier than Raheem Mostert, you can lean on him maybe a little bit heavier. Obviously, if you're talking about a hot hand type of philosophy, he was extremely hot a couple of weeks ago and now writing that out here with the confidence of uh, Mike McDaniel. So I think he's the 1A to the 1B and a 1A type of running back in a tough matchup. Uh, I don't think you can go higher than that. Uh, we'll have to really just continue to check throughout the week what the injury reports are saying, because maybe you could go a little bit lower. Next up, we have the second place for now, eight and three Buffalo Bills facing the Patriots on Thursday night football. Bills favored by four points. Game total resting at a fairly low 43 and a half points. I checked the weather. It's fine. We're not going to be dealing with 50 mile per hour when gusts again. And if you take that away, Kevin, I mean, the Belichick days of dominating a young Josh Allen, really forcing him to a lot of turnovers. They've been over for these past two seasons, really their past four matchups, excluding that win game, which to be fair, even in that game, I mean, Josh Allen didn't throw in the interception still was out there chucking the rock it was why a couple weeks ago when the bills had were facing potentially the bad weather and that you know snowstorm we still thought they might try to throw the ball because of their performance in that patriots game so going back week 16 in 2020 allen had 320 yards four touchdowns and no picks against this defense in week 16 last season 314 yards three touchdowns in the afc divisional round 308 yards and five touchdowns so maybe uh bill belichick just thinks devin singletary is the number one option on this offense. Uh, Kevin has got to take him away. I don't know. Very few teams out there have shown any ability to stop or even slow down this Buffalo Bills offense. Do you think, Bill, and what has still been an awfully good Patriots defense this year can do anything to limit Josh Allen or Stephon Diggs? Because to this point, we really haven't seen a defense do it for the better part of the last three years. Yeah, I mean, can. Yeah, there's some possibility. We saw Allen struggle a bit. Uh, how much of that was elbow-related or not against the Browns a couple of weeks ago. I was, you know, maybe a a little egg on my face here, partially by saying, hey, let's keep an eye on Josh Allen. He only had four carries for 26 yards last week. This is dropping the floor on his performances now without that rushing ability. Everything else happened. And then, boom, he just shoves it straight in my face and it goes for 11 carries for 79 yards and a tutty. Did not seem to have any problem running the ball. Was back fantasy quarterback number one last week. So if there was any doubt, and there's not kind of nothing to talk about with Josh Allen, so maybe I was inventing a talking point here of saying, do we have something to worry about? You know, it's all systems go for Josh Allen. Only other note, because look, Josh, Stefan Diggs, we're firing these guys up no matter what. If you have a close start sit question with Gabriel Davis and you want to take the other guy, I think that's reasonable. But it comes back to Devin Singletary being the guy we were kind of wondering what to do with every week. After the Bills went out of their way to trade for Naeem Hines, it did seem like we were going to maybe get more of a committee look. But so far, that hasn't happened. I mean, Devin Singletary has had a snap rate north of 70% in six straight games. Touch counts of 21, 15, 12, 14, 20, and 15 in the those matchups. So last year, I mean, he had 94 total yards and two touchdowns in that wild card. I'm sorry, divisional round win over the Patriots had a solid enough game in week 16 as well. So Patriots are the league's top ranked defense in PPR points per game allowed to running backs. But Devin Singletary, Kevin, even if, you know, this sort of snap rate would go a lot further in other offenses that don't have, you know, such a jackhammer near the goal line like Josh Allen, we're still talking about 15 plus touches more weeks than not in the league's second ranked scoring offense. I have Singletary RB22 at the top of a tier with guys like Pacheco, Jamal Williams, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson. Should we be more worried about this matchup than I am? No, I don't think we should be more worried. But again, you know, his 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 thing that maybe doesn't come into the rankings as much is the lack 
of ceiling with Josh Allen there and taking the goal line carries and not being a check down sort of guy. Uh, I'm really interested in the receivers for this matchup. I'm not sure which way the wind is blowing, but we're talking about, I was doing my showdown uh, analysis today and quite often you'll see the different um, roster numbers for there, whether it's in the captain or the flex spots, very, very, very widely based upon what's happened just in the last week. So I'm never extremely confident in Gabe Davis, but five targets, four catches, 38 yards last week versus Isaiah McKenzie with six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. I have a feeling that maybe McKenzie is going to soak up a decent amount of interest this week, which will leave Gabe Davis open. And if you're playing in a tournament or something like that, this could be like one of the cheaper weeks you can get Gabe Davis, who hasn't had a complete explosion game for a number of weeks now. Mr. Boomer Bust. And when I said close start sit decisions, I mean, I have him ranked as my wide receiver 25. So don't be getting carried away benching him, you know, for some. Right. It's all about format. There. I'm talking about like these tournament sorts of things where you can really take advantage of, of a sentiment drop. Uh, keep an eye on it. I'm not sure, but I think some people, a lot of us saw it on Thanksgiving. Isaiah McKenzie doing well. Maybe his ownership will get a little bit too much of a bump this week. As a wise man once said, first or last when you're playing DFS tournaments. All right, we have the third plate, still 7-4 and four, New York Jets this week. They're in Minnesota. Vikings favored by three. Game total at 44 and a half. Kevin, Mike White, future of the NFL, the next Tom Brady. What are we doing? Yeah, it threw the weather also. Talking about the weather. <laughs> the weather hawks out there that were probably potentially uh, benching Garrett Wilson last week is like, oh, the rain, the rain, the drizzle. What's going to happen? This is Mike White, baby. We don't have to worry <laughs> about that. We don't have to worry about these things. And I think what we're seeing here, and not to the degree that, you know, it's not San Francisco. This is not Miami. But remember, we have Mike LaFleur here. And Mike LaFleur deeply intimately knowledgeable as far as that Shanahan tree and just go do your job. I mean, I'm kind of mixing my metaphors here because I'm going with Bill <laughs> Belichick, do your job, but just go out there and throw the passes that need to be thrown functional quarterback play with this sort of talent. And again, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, sneaky top, you know, I don't know, like definitely top half receiving core, maybe top 10 receiving core, right? Probably in that ball game. If you execute the offense the way that it's played, you don't have to be a fantastical quarterback in order to get a lot out of it. And we saw that from Mike White last week. Some caveats, they were playing the Bears, who we've seen had a, have a lot of offenses have success against them. The uh, second long touchdown to Garrett Wilson, if you watch that play. Unfortunately, Eddie Jackson suffered his season-ending injury in the middle dicey. of the play. It was a little dicey. I, 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 <laughs> you know, it's like one of those plays that ends up a turnover probably yeah. like 25% of the time. But to your original point, I mean, head coach Robert Sala, I think, said it best. He made easy look easy out there. And that really is all this offense needs when you have some of the weapons around them. But I would just pump the brakes a little bit because, my God, we are going to need to see him open up the playbook a little bit for Mike White at some point. Over the past two seasons, 51 quarterbacks have at least 100 dropbacks. Colt McCoy and Mike White, the only two with the sub seven-yard average target depth. So I know style points don't matter. You don't have to throw the ball downfield to pick up yards. And, hey, he's averaging the third highest yards per attempt during that time period. So that said, 
Last year, really, we didn't so much see it last week. The turnover-worthy plays were a problem. I mean, over the past two years, Mike White still has a higher turnover-worthy play rate than even Zach Wilson. Not a good group to be in there. But at a minimum, Kevin, it's not a very high bar to be better than Zach Wilson. Mike White has cleared that bar so far from what we've seen. Again, and we're playing fantasy. So INTs, turnover-worthy plays, whatever, whatever. Bring them on. Bring them on. We just need that upside. And Zach Wilson was not giving us that. Going to find out a lot more in Minnesota this week and then in Buffalo next week. So similar to, you know, Tua and the Dolphins facing the 49ers, I think we'll know more about all these passing games here in a short time period. Final thoughts here. We do have, obviously, Garrett Wilson now looking more and more like a must-start guy. I have him wide receiver 23 ahead of players like Juju, Gabriel Davis, Devonta Smith. That's too steep for you, Kevin? I mean, look, he was my wide receiver one coming into the year. And just based on what we've seen from all these rookie wide receivers, I still believe that Garrett Wilson from a pure talent ability to play wide receiver standpoint is the best in his class. Yeah. I mean, I think it's between him or Chris Olave now with how he's been playing Olave a little bit more under the radar because of the lack of team success there. Uh, you know, the saints are not exactly the draw that the jets are with everyone excited about him there. Yeah. Wilson definite obvious uh, must start. I like where you have him ranked. I think some people may be moving him even further up based upon this, Uh, The idea that his expected fantasy points is somewhere around 16, 17 per game when when he's been with Flacco or Mike White. A limited sample, very limited sample here versus being around six. I think it is six or seven with um, Zach Wilson. It's not going to continue at that sort of level. So I like where you're going. I think you got to you got to keep on stacking good games before you start to bump them up even higher. But I have a feeling uh, sentiment may be even higher than where you have them right now. Final note here, this is the time of the year where we start learning new running backs' names and they immediately become big-time fantasy factors. This time we have Zonovan Knight, nicknamed Bam, which I'm a big fan of, could be the lead running back now for the Jets after we did see James Robinson be, be made a healthy scratch and then Michael Carter sprained his ankle. Obviously, Brees Hall been out of the picture for quite some time. So I guess my concern here, Kevin, is that we saw a game with Zonovan Knight lose Michael Carter fairly early. And even then, man, seven of his 17 carries and targets came, you know, up 21 in the fourth quarter. Now, if they're going to be able to build these sorts of leads in future games and Mike White is a god, that's fantastic. But I'm not so sure we're going to see that same game script again over these next two weeks in Minnesota and then especially in Buffalo. I would expect James Robinson to be elevated uh, from the practice squad this week. If not, Jonathan Ward, someone they just signed. So still tentatively thinking this is going to be a three-back commitment with Ty Johnson getting that fantasy-friendly pass-down work when it comes his way. So maybe Zonovan Knight is just the next big thing. He's going to continue to make the most out of, you know, 12 to 15 opportunities. I have him ranked RB33. I don't think he's going to make or break, you know, the fantasy playoffs down the stretch as much as some people. To me, Kevin, it feels like this is kind of a down week in terms of the waiver wire. That's why we're hyping up, again, something named Zonovan Knight so much. Overall thoughts on Bam. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think... When we have a small sample, obviously what happens in college doesn't necessarily translate perfectly over into the NFL. He was like, he was a good player, but nothing great. I mean, there's a reason that he was not drafted. He had five, 757 rushing yards and three touchdowns last year from North Carolina State. And then on the receiving side, which he showed decent hands, I think, um, 22 catches for 156 yards. Nothing, so nothing special from a production profile, from a combine profile, a, a measurables profile. 
209, ran in the 5'8", so not particularly fast. And then at the combine, I believe his jumped only 29 inches and uh, well under 10 feet on the broad jump. So nothing nothing jumps out there. So for that reason, I'd be skeptical until we start, again, stacking some of these NFL performances. Last place, but still 6-5 and five New England Patriots again on the Thursday night football game, home versus the Bills, where they're four-point dogs game total at 43-and-a-half. So, look, Ramondre Stevenson, if Damian Harris isn't ruled out, he's not expected to play with that thigh injury. So, even if Damian Harris was playing, Stevenson has reached that must-start, gotta-start, no matter what category. Six unexpected PPR points per game this season, mostly because of that sweet, sweet, sweet receiving role. 8.4 PPR points per game from pure receiving production that's the sixth most among any running back in the league this year so if you drafted stevenson round eight round nine where he was going you are absolutely loving that and i will continue to hold my big fat l on being wrong with him and bring up my ridiculous ty montgomery story another time so with all that aside kevin it comes down to this passing game of mac jones who hey if you were still awake after you know engulfing all that food on thanksgiving last thursday night you saw him put forward his best and most productive game of the season i mean this was the first game all all year he had multiple passing touch p- passing touchdowns 382 passing yards i mean this was the first time since week three that he reached even 250 passing yards in a game that said it was kind of wonky seeing nelson Aguilar leading all the wide receivers and targets i mean jacoby myers Devonte parker only making the most out of four pass game opportunities and let's face it this didn't go well last year we did have i'm throwing out the 50 mile per hour wing gust matchup even in the other two games though combined 377 yards two touchdowns and four interceptions for Mac Jones against the Bills so still a very good offense and again the big issue here is I don't think Nelson Aguilar all of a sudden controls this wide receiver room I'm still ranking Jacoby Meyer Jacoby Myers the highest but clearly Mac Jones is willing to get the ball to Stevenson to the other wide receivers and even Hunter Henry who I still don't know how that wasn't ruled a touchdown last week so basically do you think last week was a sign of better things to come for Mac Jones or a boom uh, that's probably going to be you know followed by more bust that we've been growing more used to seeing yeah i don't know about that i think it's just important from a fantasy perspective that even if you're getting um 382 passing yards and two touchdowns out of mac jones that you didn't have anyone pop that much in the right. receiving core and that could be one of the issues here you had you know four for 80 for Devonte parker uh hunter henry does get 63 in a touchdown so you'll take that you'll take the 65 in a touchdown for nelson aguilar but again still touchdown dependent to really have a good fantasy week. You mentioned Jacoby Myers. Well, there was a shoulder injury early in that game, maybe a re-aggravation right. later. I don't know where he stands on this depth chart, though, necessarily, because, you know, Aguilar, Bourne, Parker, you have a bunch of guys here. You even have Tyquan Thornton mixing in for 13 routes. Jacoby Myers, though, only 16 routes of 42 uh, routes run for the team in that game. So maybe something to take advantage of, but I'm sure everyone's banged up this time of year and he may step up to being one of the top three in the rotation going forward uh, if that shoulder's feeling good. Again, we are recording this on Wednesday at 2.40 p.m., so haven't had the final injury designations come out. Knowing the Patriots, I'm sure Jacoby is going to be questionable after practicing a limited Well, Damian Harris, I think we can say he's he's probably he's probably not playing this week. He hasn't been practicing, but yes. otherwise, you know, we do see the Patriots always have these practice reports where it's just limited, questionable, and it's half the team on there. So moving right along to the AFC North, we have the first place, 7-4 and four Baltimore Ravens, home against the struggling Broncos this week. Ravens are favored by seven points, Game total at 38 and a half. Lamar versus Russell Wilson with a game total at 38 and a half. Wish, uh, yeah, wish that didn't happen, but here we are. 
And yes, we've seen a ton of struggles in uh, Denver, obviously, but Baltimore really has been there as well, Kevin. They're winning, but we haven't seen this offense really take flight since week three. Honestly, I mean, it's been a struggle for Lamar Jackson and his passing game. More weeks than not, I do think you could put more of the blame on Lamar's shoulders. As someone that you can always read my Sheesh article, Fantasy Fallouts, every single Tuesday. You better, better watch out. If he's watching this podcast, he may tweet at you some some vulgarities knowing how Lamar was, Jackson likes to do. Is that still up? That tweet's not still up, is it? Okay, I don't no, know. I but, check it. but I did find the— It was up uh, for like 24 hours. Go ahead. There's that make a quote or whatever th- uh, yeah. Twitter account that does it. And so I quickly found one of those and then I tweeted out the actual image of it. So uh, chestnut checkers on the old. We haven't Twitter. heard much about that since then. I was surprised. Maybe we're lit. People love Lamar. So maybe we're letting him slide a little bit on his uh, his 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 commentary on this fan's uh, dietary preferences. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's look, it was uh, if you want to call him like a dick for saying that, then that's fine. But some people trying to say that this was like somehow like a you know homophobic thing to say, like, all right, chill the hell out from that point. But regardless of Lamar Jackson's social media practices here, we are now looking at a situation where in weeks four through 12, eight total touchdowns in weeks one through three, he had 12. So, yeah, losing Rashad Bateman has been a part of that, but they had not one, not two. Three touchdowns dropped last week. Andrews had a bunny from the one-yard line. Demarcus Robinson was diving from 12 yards out, but it hits you in the chest. You should catch the football. And Josh Oliver, yeah, the throw was a little high, but my goodness, linebacker was there. He had to get some loft on it. So we had that go on. And yeah, there was a Lamar miss to a Demarcus Robinson on what could have been a 50-yard touchdown on the second play of the game. Regardless of who you want to put the blame on, this passing game just has not been clicking. And last week, sadly, was like one of the better performances we've seen thanks in large part to that bomb to Deshaun Jackson, who I just love seeing still make plays in the year 2022. But last week, first time since week two that this team had more than even 225 passing yards. I guess the question is, Kevin, how much of the past game struggles not having that same success we saw early in the season and back to 2019 is on Lamar? And how much is it the fact that Demarcus Robinson, Devin Duvernay are the top two wide receivers he's thrown to? I mean, I thought Lamar was really good. In this game, you mentioned the drops and I would say the Mark Andrews drop at the end was like 100 percent on Andrews, but they ended up scoring on that drive anyway. The other ones. Yeah, I mean, their drops. It's always tough to say, you know, nothing's 100 percent of the time. It should be caught by a wide receiver. But he did have those those other drops in this game. I don't think 279 yards and a touchdown in this game is that bad. Mark Andrews is back. He had to make some really big throws, though, and you mentioned the late throw to Deshaun Jackson, which would have kept that passing total quite a bit lower if it didn't end up happening. But then again, 16 attempts here for 96 yards. Did not get the rushing touchdown. That will probably happen more often than not when he has that sort of attempt. So I think the underlying numbers were positive for him with Mark Andrews being back in the fold. And if anything, I'm higher on him with his best passing grade of the season in this game to say, yeah, he, he's he's maybe not the QB one. He's not in that sort of contention, but he's a guy that I think can get into that top three mix uh, for the rest of the season. He did finish as the QB eight. First time he finished better than 10th since week three. So at least even with some of these passing struggles, I mean, nothing has changed with him as a rusher, continuing to give us that fantasy friendly floor on the ground. He almost rushed for a touchdown last week. I mean, just yeah. a major sheesh, uh, sheesh quince. I always struggle to say that word because it's not a real word, but I'm going to continue to try anyway. But yeah, before that, Andrews dropped and they actually ruled it a touchdown originally, then said he was down at the one yard line. And then Gus Bus had to come in and vulture the touchdown. So quickly 
on that backfield. J.K. Dobbins did get his practice window activated. He underwent arthroscopic knee surgery during his time off, so hopefully things will be feeling better for that. I am not a doctor by any stretch, but it was pretty clear that Dobbins, and he admitted this, and Harbaugh admitted this, wasn't his true self before uh, you know being put back on the injured reserve. That said, Kevin, Ravens running backs collectively this season, just 28th in carries, 32nd in targets. Same issues we've talked about all season long with guys from the Eagles, guys from the Bills. There's nothing wrong with these running backs, but when you have an offense with the highly mobile dual threat quarterback, you just don't see the same fantasy friendly uses as you might elsewhere. So if Dobbins is back, what are you expecting from this backfield? Because they have been willing to continue to keep three running backs involved. Now, Gus Edwards last week and throughout the season has gotten a little bit more benefit of the doubt. I'm just concerned that when Dobbins is back, we see him and Edwards almost cancel each other out and just be these 10 to 12 carry guys that we're never going to feel good about starting in fantasy. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree there. I mean, I think there's an outside chance perhaps that Gus is able to come back in and take over that backfield. They love him a lot there. They did give him, I mean, a fairly modest contract extension, but for a UDFA, not bad at all. So maybe you got some hope there. You know, if you need a running back down the stretch, he's available. Perhaps if you can throw some fab at him, it might not be the worst place to go as we're getting into the late weeks here. But yeah, I wouldn't assume anything too much here but i think we also need to discuss briefly this is very related to pod content that we've had on here before your commentary on uh justin tucker single-handedly or (laughs) single-footedly losing losing the game here uh which i appreciated that you know first of all is it just me or was it slightly disappointing slash embarrassing like that was short like that was way short okay that kick was way short we need more from you tucker if you want to be out here you know you know doing big celebrations and and having people pound their chest about how great you are so i'll give you that number two and then number two I almost feel like you're taking over my catchphrase now because you're getting the Ninja gets it responses to this, which Ninja does. Ninja knew about it. I'm sure Ninja knew that Tucker was a little bit fraudulent and should not have been put on this pedestal <laughs> the, the entire time. But now you're, t- you're, just, you're a catchphrase magnet, basically. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Shots fired there, Kevin. But yeah, yeah it's appropriation. Misappropriation. You're, you're 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 appropriating my catchphrases. Go ahead. Big missed opportunity saying that Justin Tucker single-handedly lost the Ravens that football game. Single-footedly was right there. <laughs> I rushed it. You know, you're doing this thing. I'm watching all these games on Sunday. Missed opportunity by me there. But look, I, I kid, I kid. As long as kickers are going to be a part of real football, I guess we need to respect them as real football players. Hey. But my God, man, he kicks a football. Like we get it. And to this Seeing the seeing the reaction after he missed that, where it was like, "Oh, look, he almost made it." You missed it, man. We're not throwing hand grenades. We're not playing horseshoes. So it wasn't even that almost, it, it. though. It wasn't right. even that almost. Like it was like at least five yards short, which is kind of like low key bad. Like maybe it would have been good from sixty or something like that. I'm not sure if it would have been good from that much longer. But anyway, you know, I know there's a lot of Tucker Tucker love out there. You can't say anything bad about Justin Tucker. He's probably like in the top fifty of the NFL 100 now or something. Uh, but by how they do these rankings, but I, I appreciated you putting that out there and also giving the opportunity for the listeners to get in with some catchphrases. Well, what he was also wasn't he like mocking Russell Wilson on the plane or something like, dude, yeah, know your yeah. place, okay? You can be a yeah. really cool kicker. You're still a kicker. Though, I think this is partially game. Pat McAfee's fault for having special teamers be cool now because he's a punter and he has, you know, one of the thriving media empire. So I'm going to put some blame on him for this.
Moving right along. Our second place Cincinnati Bengals, seven and four. Big game this week. And Cincy facing the Chiefs. Chiefs are two point road favorites. Game total 52 and a half. Should be a lot of fireworks in that one. Jamar Chase did confirm today that he is expecting to be back out there. Seemingly, I would hope, close to 100%. It seems like they've taken their time with this hip injury. He came back last week and was able to practice in a limited fashion. Didn't rush him along, hoping to get the usual Jamar Chase out there. And because of that, He belongs in each and every starting lineup out there. One cool note, because I just saw last week, you know, Higgins had that nice touchdown down the sideline. And just from watching Joe Burrow over the years, I feel like when he throws that deep ball down the sideline, like no one is better at it. And I just wanted to pull the PFF numbers to see if I was right. And he's actually the second highest graded quarterback this season in terms of throwing the ball 20 plus yards downfield and within 10 yards of the sideline. Kevin, can you guess the only quarterback better than Burrow at those throws this season? Down the sideline. Um, Those deep moon balls. There's a little hint. Jalen Hurts. Now Gino. Gino Smith. Oh, G- <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, Gino does everything, though. Let's not. That's the problem. I would just assume, like, when I think of Gino, I don't think of him having any one part of his game. He's he's really, he's 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 decoded the matrix out there. It's just all elite for Gino. But, yes, if you do go back to last season, nobody has more touchdowns than Burrow with 14 on those sort of passes. But I guess all that is to say, you know, over the, we had that first game against the Browns where the Bengals offense, you know, really was struggling without. Jamar Chase, but they really did a good job figuring things out. I know it wasn't the most dominant victory over the Titans, but for them to go into Nashville and again win, even without their best, you know, non quarterback out there really was impressive. So it brings me to the point, Kevin, with this offensive line starting to gel a little bit better out there. I didn't see how many sacks Burrow took last week, but it certainly wasn't nine like it was last season in the AFC Divisional round. Is Are the 2022 Bengals more dangerous than the 2021 Bengals? I believe they are. I mean, part of my my beef with Bengals fans, not with the team, was that they were overestimating how good they were, and then they got a good roll. I mean, they went to the craps table, and they they were hitting. You know, there was pass. It was pass over and over again, and they got all the way to the Super Bowl. I think internally they're a better team this year. You mentioned the sack rate. It's been steadily coming down for Burrow. How much of it last week was the lack of pass rush for the Titans versus – the uh, pass protection, I'm not sure, but I tracked something called quick pressures, and his quick pressure rate in that game was about 7%. It was very, very low. One sack in that game. Uh, some of the best numbers we've seen so far for the season. And I think when it comes to you know the offense, do we have to say, like, what would T. Higgins be if Jamar Chase was not on this team? We're talking about back-to-back weeks of top six wide receiver play. And if you stack top six wide receiver weeks, guess what? You'll be like wide receiver one or wide receiver two at the at the end of the season if you have that sort of consistency. So this Bengals team, that 2020 and 2021 drafts, if you talk about nailing Burrow, Higgins, and Jamar Chase in there. Just an amazing collection of talent that they have there. And you know, you got Joe Mixon, you got whatever from the past two. But those three guys nailing that, I just feel like it's such an awesome offensive core. And then you just build around them. Pretty straightforward and fantasy. All those great names you just said, you are starting them no matter what. They're the what. third best team in the AFC now. Yeah. Ooh, them versus Miami is a tough one. Yeah, I know Miami's probably the team that people are putting in there. Baltimore would have been considered the team, but I think they fell off a little bit last week. I think they are, but we'll see with Miami. 
Very close. Definitely in that conversation, if not leading it. But yes, only other point I'd make, because again, Burrow, Higgins, Chase, you're starting them, even if there's a fire everywhere. A little bit disappointing that Tyler Boyd couldn't produce more without chasing the picture. So he's just kind of more so in that wide receiver four conversation these days. But really didn't see too much of a difference between Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan out there. Mixon is expecting to be back this week per ESPN's Adam Schefter, and he is starting off the week with a practice. So expecting him to clear the concussion protocol by Sunday. But P. Ryan last week, man, 80% snaps, 17 carries, and six targets against a tough Titans uh, run defense that we've seen have a lot of success really ever since, you know, getting flamed by Saquon Barkley in week one. So I just think it goes to show where when you have guys like P. Ryan, who let's say he's 90% of Joe Mixon, to be honest, the numbers say he's been a little bit better than Joe Mixon just on a per-touch basis this season. But even if he's 90%, if you have the same workload, which he did out here, again, 80% of the snaps, we're going to have an awfully good fantasy asset. So Samaje Piran, I get it. You know, we got six buys coming up next week. You can't always keep these handcuffed running backs on the bench when you want to. But if you see this dude get cut because someone now has Mixon back, this is his ceiling when he's just one injury away from getting there. And that came in a game with a healthy Chris Evans, who he's not even playing ahead. Travion Williams at this point. Hate to see that. One, one, one quick thing. I'm just going to uh, you know, give a little point. Uh, this is way probably too far back in time here, but remember in the Super Bowl when everyone freaked out because Samaje P. Ryan got the third <laughs> and one carry and Joe Mixon did not get in. Then, you know, subsequently they can't convert the fourth down and they lose the Super Bowl. I remember thinking, yeah, you know, all else being equal, you probably should give it to Mixon, but let's face it, it doesn't really matter that it was P. Ryan versus Mixon on that play. It's probably, you know, like a four per, like four out of a hundred times maybe uh, Mixon can convert it where, where P. P. Ryan couldn't. It's going to be more about the blocking and everything else. And, you know, he's proving that here. You guys can see the exact metrics in my weekly uh, running back article. But yeah, Piron has slight edges in rushing. Uh, Mixon has slight edges in receiving. Biggest difference, though, is in that pass blocking ability. And that is something that I did see. I might have been ESPN's Ben Baby. He's always doing fantastic stuff with the Bengals. But you do look in that Super Bowl specifically, and there is an example of Mixon, you know, not really using the proper blocking form and not really being the pass protector that they want. I just tend to think that the pass, I guess the pass pro ability, like you need it when you have to have it. Because it's just even you dig into guys like Zeke and you just don't see them have more than five or six pass pro snaps because I think a lot of times when those extra blitzes don't come they're told to go out there and run a route uh, regardless so you aren't just blocking nobody well, so we just hate we hate the pass protection in, in fantasy because it keeps our rookies who we love our new toys off of the field way too much but yeah there's probably something to do with coaches they may know something about football you know I, I'll give it to them <laughs> Just a little bit. All right, our third place, Cleveland Browns, sitting at four and seven. No longer the Jacoby Brissett show because Deshaun Watson's suspension officially over. And just because we happen to live in a simulation, he is facing the Texans in Houston this week. Browns are seven-point favorites, game total at 47. So he's back. It's been a freaking minute since we've seen Deshaun Watson out there playing football. How confident are you, Kevin? And can we even just be at all confident, I should say, that we're going to see the same guy that was, again, a consensus top top five fantasy and at least top 10 real life quarterback in his entire career from 2017 to 2020. I mean, I'm more confident than most people probably are on here. I know he had a handful of poor preseason snaps, which are probably being overplayed more than anything else. He had the off season. I'm sure he's been doing training uh, going forward on that. And yeah, you mentioned from a fantasy perspective, he was a top five guy for sure, although some others, you know, have really emerged since then, like Josh Allen in particular since then. And he's probably still in that mix, I think. 
Uh, I would have been a little bit concerned about the weapons around here, but Najoku, Cooper, even Donovan Peoples-Jones are playing well enough, plenty well enough, I believe, there. Now, from a volume perspective, though, he was more of a high volume, we're just going to lean everything on Deshaun Watson type of passer. Maybe that will be eased in with the rushing attack that they have there. Maybe he won't be running himself quite as much as he had in the past and give me a little bit extra juice there. So those are two things to monitor uh, for him. But as far as a high-level player, I tend to believe, you know, guys don't, it's like riding a bike sort of situation. I don't think they're going to forget how to play. We've seen guys miss years with ACLs and come back like nothing had happened. And he has some rim to fall off and he's still going to be one of the better fantasy quarterbacks out there. Literally NFL history, every quarterback ever, only Patrick Mahomes is averaging more fantasy points per game. So Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, you know, Kyler, there are a bunch of guys that have been probably didn't even throw Kyler in that group. Apologies, but there have been some other guys, you know, stepping up big time over the past few years since Watson has been under center last, but yes, at a minimum should be a fairly big upgrade over Jacoby Brissett because it'd be a fairly big upgrade over almost any quarterback out there. So I do want to give Jacoby some credit. I was so wrong on him being a downgrade from Baker Mayfield last season. Still not exceptional, but guess what? Jacoby Brissett, man, he seems like a guy vying for that 2023 Colts starting job, Kevin. But I kid, I kid. (laughs) The Colts have already had the Jacoby experience, and it didn't go so hot, if you remember what, what happened that year. I mean, I love him. I think he's a great locker room guy, this and that. Anyone saying that he somehow deserves a starting job in the <laughs> NFL needs to like slow, slow down. We have we have plenty of if this was the only season that we had seen from him, I'd give that to you, but we have enough evidence uh going backwards. And I guess, you know, I'd be remiss as far as Deshaun Watts is concerned, everything else. But we're gonna see what's gonna happen with obviously the controversy around him. I mean, I talked about this ad nauseum kind of on the unexpected points podcast in the offseason. There's gonna be a booth, there's gonna be a uh not a booth, but uh uh, luxury box rented out by the attorney of the accusers. They'll be there. There's gonna be just everyone out there. Watch, watch what you're doing. Watch what you're saying. Keep in mind everything that's happening here, because obviously there's a lot of evidence. And even in the NFL's own investigation, found credible evidence that he committed some of these acts here, whether they come to a criminal penalty or not. Let's let's keep all that in mind when we're talking about you know our top five quarterback takes and all that sort of stuff. Final note here is David Njoku did miss practice on Wednesday and Kevin Stefanski called it a new knee issue. So that's never good to hear. And it could be a problem because we saw two weeks ago, they were willing to only play Njoku on a limited amount. Of what snaps. a catch by him though. Like that might oh be, that has to be like a top 10 catch on the season. A lot of people weren't necessarily paying attention situation fourth and 10. They could, they, and they eventually win the game with that. I mean, they, they don't get that. Obviously they don't win the game. So yeah. Fantastic stuff. Someone that people were wondering if he was a little bit overpaid this offseason has that not was me. Been that was me. That I'll throw me in there. <laughs> I'll take that. I, I was just trying to say, Kevin, but thanks for yeah. calling that out. All right. Finally, last place, Pittsburgh Steelers still sitting there at four and seven. Just don't have that tiebreaker this week there in Atlanta. It is a pick 'em game total resting at 42. So We've had some drops. Last week, Deontay Johnson dropped a touchdown from two yards out. League high, 94 targets now without a score. Two weeks before, at the end of the game, George Pickens got loose down the sideline. Pickett did throw a perfect pass. So I'm trying to add some context to be nice because, Kevin, otherwise, this has been anyone's idea of a terrible quarterback this season. Now, I talked about his schedule coming out and how tough that was for him you know, at length on this podcast, but adding it all up at this point, we've had seven starts, eight extended exp- appearances. He's 26 among 38 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. 
37th in passer rating, 37th in yards per attempt, tied for 19th in adjusted completion rate. So he's been terrible. Guess what? A lot of quarterbacks are terrible as a rookie and they get a lot better. I'm not trying to write the dude's entire career off, but I am wondering in a legit boom spot against the league's third worst defense and PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers. How confident are you in George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, Kevin? Because even with this offense, no more Claypool. We've been able to condense things there. We know Pickens and Deontay Johnson, at least from past years, we know how good these guys are. I have Pickens at wide receiver 29, Deontay at wide receiver 34, and I'm still not going to be all that confident firing them up. I do want to move Pickens maybe a couple spots ahead now that I'm looking at I have him right behind Ayuk and Cortland Sutton. I would probably start him ahead of Cortland Sutton when it comes down to it. But even then, amazing matchup, no Claypool, and we can't get two really talented wide receivers even close to the top 24. Will this change this year, or is this just unfortunately the Pittsburgh Steelers offense as we know it? I think it, I think it is just the offense. I mean, this was his best game of the season from a grading perspective. I'm at 83.4 passing grade. He had been into the 60s even before that. The troubling thing is here, like they have a good game. And he's only throwing 28 passes and he's only averaging 6.2 yards attempt. So it's not like he's getting a ton of juice without their top two running backs. Yeah. Yeah. He's not like he's getting a top, a ton of juice there from an efficiency perspective, no passing touchdowns. And if we even go to the games where he has given you 40 plus attempts, he's never been over six yards per attempt in those games. And he's only got two touchdowns in those three games. So, you know, without juice, Without yards per attempt, without yards, guess what? Yards and touchdowns are important in fantasy football. And now he's shown you through a different type of game state, a game state where they win, where things are going relatively well, he's also not producing. So he can't produce with the high-volume play from behind, uh, needing to scrape for every yard type of situation. And he didn't produce, at least in this one instance, of a good offensive overall game where they were playing well and leading, at least in this one. So, yeah, not, not good. Pat Fryermuth, again, just it's been inconsistent. And we're not down the talent on, at hand, but the dude hasn't scored since week two because that's life inside of an offense that just yeah, hasn't he doesn't throw touchdown to. passes. So what are you yeah. gonna how, how are you gonna score without the quarterback throwing touchdown passes? Pick it yet. They, to need, have some, a game. they need some running back, running back option, yeah. pass option plays or something. Yet to have multiple touchdowns in a game. I get it. Two drops. I brought him up, but he also missed Pickens on what should have been an easy four-yard touchdown last week. So it does go both ways. Speaking of those running backs, Jalen Warren missed last week with the hamstring. He has been cleared to return this week, which is good. Albeit, we don't know if Najee Harris is going to be out there. I believe the last update I saw on Najee was the abdomen issue isn't all that severe looking for the update right now just fantastic podcasting we got going on right now but I guess my concern here Kevin would be will Jalen Warren even have a chance to have okay he's he's quote-unquote up in the air for week 13 that's what Najee is so not exactly a given if Najee is out I'm not all that confident in Jalen Warren necessarily having that three down roll. I would have been if he wasn't coming off his hamstring injury. We did see them be pretty willing to give Benny Snell a good amount of work last week, though. Thoughts on this backfield if Najee Harris is going to be sidelined? Uh, yeah, I mean, number one, I I don't know. I'm going to use my magic eight ball crystal ball and I say that he will be sidelined for this game. And I don't know. You know, I think that he could have a really good role. I just don't know. I think he could be a guy that they like a lot. It seems like Tomlin, everyone else likes him a lot there. So, And they've been willing in the past, obviously, to give huge roles to their lead back, no matter whether it's a starter or if it's a backup, like when James Conner got in there, when uh, D'Angelo Williams got in there back in the day. So that's a possibility. The problem is there's no general juice in this offense. So you're taking on some risk with the role, and you're taking on a lot more risk with the fact that the offense doesn't have a lot of juice. 
but it's a decent matchup. So he like he he has a high ceiling. I think it's a possibility. Those those things could align. I'm just not confident necessarily that you should be you know ranking him in the in a, as an RB one or something like that. I have right now, if he's going to be playing Najee Harris as my RB20, that'll obviously go down if we're hearing about him being limited and whatnot. Latavius Murray versus Jalen Warren, Kevin. I think that kind of be about where he's going, right? Because we're talking about yeah. a bell cow running back. Warren. I think I'd yeah. lean Warren in that circumstance, but yeah. That's fair. So that's about where he's going to be, right around that RB2 borderline. And hey, usually that is good enough to earn. Well, we'll get news time. too as to how he's feeling and stuff too. So, I, you know, obviously it's going to it's gonna hinge on that a little bit too. Before we move on to the AFC South, I want to give a shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there, beginning with our friends over at Western and Southern. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your wa- roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day, team up to understand needs, and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started right now at westernsouthern.com slash pff also gotta give some love to our friends over at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl is my go-to when betting on the nfl this holiday season and right now new customers can bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win their game and get one hundred and fifty dollars in free bets if they do and check this out right now everyone can earn up to 100 percent boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays go to the DraftKings sportsbook app place the same game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win player props point totals and more the more legs you add the bigger the boost the bigger your shot to win big Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFL. Place a $5 bet in any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Oh, Kevin, you see that news? <laughs> There's a lot of different stuff here. I'm trying to figure out which one is more interesting. For some reason, on my beat writer um, Twitter list, I, someone tweeted like some... I don't know, some conservative something or other saying Elon Musk confirms Twitter interfered in the election. So I don't know what the hell that means. So that, that's interesting here. Do you know Patrick Mahomes' nickname uh, for his new son, who's Patrick LeVon Mahomes III? What, Showtime? I don't know. Bronze. <laughs> what? I don't know. I, I got to figure out what's going, going on here. Okay. So Sterling, oh, Sterling and Bronze, are so they're connected. Uh, Sterling boo. for the sister and Bronze. Uh, I don't know about that one. That can use some work there, but I'm sure is is his brother like TikToking from the maternity ward or whatever, I, like doing, I, I this, doing this moves. <laughs> so, but we went over breaking news, but we'll discuss a very very important Broncos news when we get to the Broncos segment because we have nothing to discuss fantasy wise for the That's actually going to be the end of the podcast here in a little bit. Okay. So look forward to that. Yeah, but first, I mean, we it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I'm unveiling a couple of new PFF metrics Ooh. as part of this. First, we got to get through the AFC South and our first place Tennessee Titans, seven and four, coming off that close loss to the Bengals. Another tough one this week in Philly. Eagles are five and a half point favorites, game total of 44 and a half. So, hey, similar question that, you know, we asked with the Bengals coming off that big win. You, you said they are more dangerous than last season with the Titans, once again, falling short to Joe Burrow and company in Nashville. Can the 2022 Titans be anything more than what this 2021 edition was? Uh, that one's a little bit tougher because I do think while Traylon Burks is playing well, that he's not going to be AJ Brown, right? He is maturing, but at the same point in time, he has two fifty-something yard catches over the last two weeks. One, you know, one of them was highly, highly contested last week, and then the week before that, he did 
you know, he did not Moss, but it kind of partially Moss uh, Jair Alexander. Yeah. So I thought, I thought it was impressive, but those are ones that are not going to pop on a week in week out basis. So they don't have that guy. They don't have that guy necessarily the AJ Brown. So I think that brings them down defensively. I think they look pretty good. They were getting better at pass rush earlier this week, and I mentioned their failures against Joe Burrow last week. So that would also be a little bit of a concern for me. They weren't that great last year, but they got that number one seed also. They got the bye in the playoffs. They're not going to get that too. So for a, a number of reasons, I don't know if they're going to be that much of a competitive team this year. Obviously, Derrick Henry starting him no matter what. I would just say real quick, league high, 56% of his rush attempts have come with eight-plus defenders in the box. So you see that 4.2 yards per carry. Just realize Henry has to work harder for those yards than most other running backs. But guess what? League high, 247 carries and already career-high marks in receptions with 21 and receiving yards with 278 has helped him maintain a floor. Wouldn't be surprised if he can boom on the ground, though, against an Eagles defense that, honestly, even before Jordan Davis their first round, uh, you know, just monster defensive tackle got injured. He did get his practice window elevate open today, so he could be back this week feasibly. Even before then, though, this wasn't exactly a great defense against the run because of how damn good they are against the pass, which I get. Same thing with the Cowboys. Same thing with a lot of great defenses because the year is 2022, not 1992. You should be better at stopping the pass and the run. And even though we did see Christian Watson have some late game heroics last week on the season, Darius Slay and company, still an off formidable group second epa allowed per pass play second yards per attempt allowed the best defense in the league in terms of passer rating allowed against him so Traylon burks i think he's a fine wide receiver three like it's good we have three straight weeks now of Tannehill booming to an extent at least more than what we saw from what like weeks four through eight where they couldn't even reach 150 passing yards i would just again caution to kevin's point it has been tough only six eight and six targets over these past three games i have Traylon burks as my wide receiver 32 I don't think he's a must-start receiver, but you're feeling fine if he's in your flush. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give him. A, I'll give him. A, are we still giving out flowers? I think it was that just a one-week bit where we were giving oh, flowers? Out flowers. Yeah, we can keep it going. <laughs> I think it's probably just a one. We probably don't want to overuse that. But I will say, I know I just talked down Burks a little bit here. He, he since coming back from injury, he is running 80% of the routes, 80 plus percent of the routes. He's getting about 20% of the targets. The problem is the overall volume in the offense yeah. that he's not getting. So he has. 2.44 yards per route run since coming back, which is an outstanding number. It's like a Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson rookie year type of number. Just not the volume, unfortunately. And seeing him make those contested catches, especially the one you mentioned last week, like super contested. I mean, just that hand. He looks like he belongs, right? He looks like sometimes these big receivers, they don't, you, you, they get out there and they're like, oh, this guy's not nearly as big as I thought he was. He looks like he belongs. And his usage at Arkansas, people were wondering if he was maybe more of a gadgety guy. Like, no, he looks like an alpha number one receiver. We'll see if one day he can get tough to press him. He's, He's good against press. 100%. 100%. Number two ranked team in the AFC South. We have the Colts still somehow at 4-7-1. and one. This week in Dallas on Sunday Night Football, the Cowboys are favored by 11. Not much credit being given to Jeff Saturday and company. What are your thoughts now on Jeff Saturday through three weeks, Kevin? The Colts have been more competitive than they were in weeks before. Now you replace Sam Ellinger with Matt Ryan. I think that is bound to happen. And we did obviously have Jeff Saturday's you know clock fiasco taking over the news after Sunday. Yeah, what I would say, and this is when it comes maybe to a lesser degree to um, the Steve Wilk situation in 
Carolina. So what happens is like you have these waves that a team goes through as far as how well they play versus how talented they are and whether it's luck, whether it's, you know, they have a bad week, you know, tip passes, drop drops, everything else. It goes up and down, up and down. Now, when coaches get replaced, you're very unlikely to be at the top of one of these waves, right? You're, you're going to be at the bottom. So naturally the team is going to more likely than not be better. It's why we quite often see Rookie coaches win coach of the year, but we don't know anything about them other than we say, oh, wow, this team really bounced back this season versus what they did the season before. So I think there's a lot of that effect with Saturday. I'm just glad they didn't pull out. If they would have pulled out the Eagles victory and then this victory here, it would have been all over. It would have been <laughs> all over for Jeff Saturday talk and how what he's doing and what he's bringing to this office. I think he's fine. It, you know, how much does it matter that much? He's really just living off of what Frank Reich had set up there. And Matt Ryan, unfortunately, you know, Matt Ryan's going to have some okay games and he's going to have some bad games. It's just the type of quarterback he is right now. And that's going to matter more than anything that Jeff Saturday is doing. Good news is we have a healthy Jonathan Taylor starting to do Jonathan Taylor things again. And even Michael Pittman out there. I mean, last three games, he's had nine, seven, and 11 targets. Managed to go for at least six catches over 50 yards. Even found the end zone last week for the first time since week one, which is sad, but also good that he did find the end zone again. Beyond that, not trusting anything here in this offense, really. With all due respect to Jelani Woods' big game, that did come with Kylan Granson out of the picture with an illness, expecting him to be back this week. Paris that was kind of crazy, though. It was, but I mean, dude, look, he's not the only good tight end in this offense. Mo Cox had six catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns in week four. He has eight total targets since. Like, I just have okay, no Okay, if you're living in tight end hellscape, which is pretty much anyone who doesn't have Kelsey or – or Andrews, or or maybe some others on here. I mean, if, uh, I'm talking about myself here. In two, one league where I had uh, Kyle Pitts, another one where I had Dallas Goddard. Uh, Goddard, come back, baby. Um, I picked up Trey McBride. It's just been horrible, absolutely horrible in those leagues. Like, what are we doing here? Is he someone you could even throw a dart at? Because let's face it, this is nothing better than dart throwing going on here at the tight end position outside of the top options. No, I don't think so. Again, this came out of nowhere. It came pretty clearly because the tight end was out that we're expecting to be back. And only the freaking Broncos are implied to score fewer points than the Cowboys this week. We sure as hell aren't expecting him to catch eight passes a week. Like, I feel like we're throwing a dart and hoping for a touchdown this is one of the worst offenses in the league to be doing that with okay how about okay should, should we get a prop where i can take the other side jelani woods uh touchdowns rest of season uh okay 0.5 i'll take the under <laughs> okay i was gonna say one and a half so that's good okay, i'll take the over on point five. this will this will give me a chance this will give me a chance to that embarrassing very embarrassing uh uh <laughs> <laughs> prop that we had going last I was, I was waiting for you to bring it up, man. We'll talk more about that in the yeah. NFC pod. But, hey, I will, do want to be the first one to say this. We need to get Darnell Washington, Georgia's, like, freaking 6'9 monster tight end who wears number zero. I need him on the Colts with Mo Cox and Jelani Woods. If the Colts don't do anything other than just collect monster alien tight ends for the next decade, yes. I'll be happy with that. Third place Jaguars sitting there four and seven in Detroit this week. That, that could be a pretty fun game. Jaguars are one and a half point road favorites. Game total at 51 and a half. Love seeing those start with a five. So Trevor Lawrence breakout performance. We've been wondering exactly what was going to go on with him, Kevin, giving him credit for having some good games because he really did in week nine and week 10. He didn't have the sexy game winning drive. And I mean, look, some of those throws he made down the stretch and really throughout that game were fantastic. He did 
probably make a few more just turnover-worthy plays and some mistakes in Week 12 relative to Week 9 and Week 10. So either way, though, I mean, this is now three really good games where he's been a top-eight highest-graded PFF passer. Now, in Weeks 2 and 3, he also had back-to-back top-eight games, and then he went ahead and he had five straight games where he couldn't even finish inside the top 16. So how confident are you? And I think I asked you this last week, but guess what? We now have another uh, data point under our belt. How confident are you that Trevor Lawrence can keep playing like the top 10 quarterback that he's now has been over the past month. I mean, only Joe Burrow higher PFF passing grade than Trevor Lawrence over the last month of action. Eh, you know what? Uh, okay. I- I'm always going to be a little bit too contrarian. So you have to know yourself, know thyself um, as part of fantasy football analysis. So with everyone uh, going crazy, losing their minds, like everyone who had Trevor Lawrence as the greatest prospect, um, you know, since Johnny United is to come into the league, uh, saw this performance and just and just just went crazy about how great it was. He was good. He made some really good passes down the stretch. He had the red zone effect where he's been getting the bad side of the red zone effect because he had the good side of the red zone effect here where everyone saw those last couple of drives and the throws he was making, especially the fourth down conversion and then the final touchdown and two point conversion. But, okay, he did have three turnover-worthy plays in this game. And if you look at the plays he made, third and eight, you know, it was it was a little bit of a almost what would have been considered an arm punt. But it was an arm punt. It was shocking that it wasn't caught. He got blindsided on a sack that was about six and a half, seven seconds into, <laughs> into the play. So, and he fumbled the ball. And then he had another one where he had this weird thing. I don't know if it was an incompletion or a fumble, but again, held the ball way too long, almost made a catastrophic mistake. So that's the problem with him. He still is teetering on the edge of catastrophic mistakenness while he makes the big play. So in my opinion, actually, my opinion of him has not changed that fundamentally from a, a couple of few weeks ago where he was, he was a top 10 EPA per play type of guy. I know his grading has gone up. He's been a little bit more solid, but I don't think he's like, I'm confident in him now. This is a breakout. Now he's going to be playing like, you know, 2018 Patrick Mahomes uh, second year the rest of the season. Uh, But I'm high on the Jaguars. I'm high on the Jaguars. I think he's good. I'm just saying he's like a top half quarterback. I'm not confident in him as being a top 10 guy. And at least from a fantasy perspective, we're seeing some of those counting numbers come along with those big plays. Zay Jones, Zay Jones, Josh Norris was like... (laughs) So levitating out, was passed levitating. out he was so happy after what happened back to back pretty good weeks for zay jones combined yeah. 24 targets over that stretch and guess what a great matchup this week against the lions defense that ranks 31st in ppr points per game allowed to wide receivers just 29th in pff coverage grade so christian kirk not sweating that dud at all he continues to get all the targets ever since doug peterson said he needs to be up there he's had five ten seven nine twelve and most recently nine targets so christian kirk Still trusting as a weekly wide receiver, too. And Zay Jones has cracked my top 32 wide receivers as well. So, again, does look like it could be a shootout here. Feeling good about this Jaguars passing game. And Evan Ingram, man, you were asking for someone out there that if you do need a stopgap tight end, I mean, I take Evan Ingram over someone like Jelani Woods eight days of the week. Keep an eye on him on the waiver wire if available. Final point here is with Travis Etienne. So, he got ruled out early last week, but it came out that he was actually ruled eligible cleared to return i believe he did get into practice on wednesday although doug peterson did call him day to day with the foot how worried are you that we don't see etn get that same 70 80 percent snap workhorse role they did add a uh, daryl henderson off of waivers a couple weeks ago 
I mean, I'm worried. I mean, I hate these foot injuries. Yeah. I hate them. Uh, remember when Rashad Bateman had his second inflammation of the foot injury, I said he could be out for the year, and he was. And, you know, Bateman's a guy injured the foot, got cleared, came back. There's something going on. And unfortunately, I don't know how much the effects. I'm not a doctor, so I can't say, you know, like year over year. But wasn't it a Liz Frank that knocked him out for his entire um, last year, yeah, last season too. So uh, I don't know, man. If I were anything, if I were the Jaguars, I think an abundance of caution is correct. I think they did a fantastic job keeping him out of the last game, and Doug Peterson should really be highlighted for that. Not only from a perspective of just being like a smart move, but like being a good dude, uh, keeping his players out from getting injured, and. You know, uh, Jermichael Hasty looked pretty good, I think, uh, playing out there, too. So that also factors into the uh, that maybe he'll be eased in a little bit going forward. Your last placed one, nine and one Houston Texans this week. They're again in the Deshaun Watson Bowl at home against the Browns. Browns favored by seven game total at 47. Any thoughts on the Texans? I mean, Kyle Allen was like worse than I remembered somehow. Uh, this team, this team has worn me, has, has worn me down slowly, but surely, Kevin, I have nothing to say about them. Yeah, you don't have anything to say about them other than wait, hold on. This I have one thing to say about them, and probably if it if you're looking if you're like a playoff team, right? You're thinking to yourself, who can I pick up defensively that might be playing them <laughs> in the playoffs? So the Jaguars in Week 17, Titans in 16, Chiefs in 15. Eh. Ooh. It's not great. You're probably not going to be able to get the Chiefs. You might be able to get the Titans, though, in week 16. So, you know, think about that because the Cowboys, you're not probably not going to get. I guess the Browns, if you can if you can pick them up and stream them this week, all, all engines go. I'm going to update. I did a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about on the waiver pub. I'm going to update those uh, charts I made about the easiest schedules by position for weeks 15 to 17. So you can check that out on my Twitter if you're wondering. Sometimes offenses will get now. better, so you can't plan like three, four weeks yeah. in advance. You can do it, though. <laughs> this Texas offense. You, you can plan a year in advance, probably, if you need to. Get, you know, have, have your streamers ready for week one, 20, 2023, uh, against, against this Houston Texans offense. Unfortunately, we've had to dive Pierce down the ranks a bit. He is my RB18 on the week. I would start guys like sad. David Montgomery, Tony They massacred Pollard. our boy. I know. It's so sad, man. But look, it's not on him. Like, just realize that. 16 rushing yards on his last 15 carries. Negative six rushing yards before contact, which I've known for, like, since Did Sunday. Did you enjoy when that Dari Ogagawabalabale <laughs> touchdown last week? Did you enjoy that? Ogumbawale. That's the one name I can kind of get down. So, Rex Burkhead, obviously doing his thing out there as well. But I will say, I mean, the Browns this year, bottom three defense and PPR points per game. Two RBs and yards well, they stink, contact. But, you know, still. You're still firing them up against the Texans. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, but look, we're firing up. I'm mean, we're firing up Damian Pierce this week. More, 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 more leagues than not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. All right. Finally, AFC West, our first place Kansas City Chiefs sitting at nine and two again in Cincy this week, favored by two points. I was Mahomes ever a dog this year? Were they? Uh, yes, was they played. Josh Allen was okay. Yeah, yeah. And then other than that, it was that Lamar Jackson. Uh, Ravens Chiefs game a couple years ago so those are the only two times that Mahomes has been a dog in recent memory couldn't quite get there in this one since the home field advantage man I will probably not be at the game maybe I'll venture uh to Madtree or something though shout out Madtree best brewery in Cincy in my humble opinion at all concerned because look we have Mahomes out there we got the passing game we know how awesome they all they are 
What about Isaiah Pacheco now? He has been the starting running back. He's been good, not great, not catching many passes. I believe he only has four on the season. And we did see the Chiefs go out and sign Melvin Gordon. Uh, now, seemingly, that could be to replace Ronald Jones, who got his first action of uh, the season. But, hey, this has been an offense where Damian Williams, Jarek McKinnon, I mean, weird running backs have been signed late in the season and proceeded to go on and lead the way down the stretch. How confident are you in Isaiah Pacheco continuing to lead the way for his Chiefs offense through the fantasy playoffs because, again, I mentioned those charts that I did make make and tell everyone about. If you want to talk about good fantasy schedules in the playoffs, man, we got the Texans, the Seahawks, and then a Broncos team that might have killed Russell Wilson by the time we get to Week 17 at this point. So could be really productive for Pacheco down the stretch if he can hold on to this job. Um, I am – Okay, I, I don't know what – I was going to give it a number rating. So I'll say I'm a 7 out of 10, which may be more confident than most people. Whatever people are confident, whatever like the general consensus confidentness is, I'm going to go one higher on this okay. because I think they like them. I think they've given them to the ball enough. And I think in this one, it was – for I mean, maybe in some ways you could say he could be overhyped after having in a pretty cake matchup, 22 carries, getting the touchdown despite not having – great efficiency on the ground, getting a catch in this one. If anything, I think this could have been a much, much, much bigger gain for him for the fact that the Chiefs surprisingly struggled on third downs in this game, converting third downs, keeping drives going. He could have had 25 carries. He could have had closer to 30 carries if they kept on going and sustaining some of these drives here. They could have had an additional one or two touchdowns, the way that they were playing offensively outside of the problems that they were having on third down. So for that reason... I'm actually a bit higher on him. Again, Patrick Mahomes last week on third down, where normally he's unstoppable, three for eight for 22 yards. So he they were not good on third down. Normally he converts a few more of those. And that each time you convert, you get an opportunities on first and second down to then get carries to someone like Pacheco. I do wonder if we could see them start to lean on Pacheco more inside the five-yard line. Because going into last week, I mean, the Chiefs were the only team in the league that actually had thrown the ball over 70% of their snaps inside the 10. And you look at what happened last week. You know, pick. inside through that pick in the end zone. So. Bad pick in the end zone that, you know, yeah. God forbid. And I, I, I know Mahomes certainly had made more than enough great plays to make yeah. up for the mistake. Can so we trust sense. Patrick Mahomes going forward? <laughs> Next. Right. That's why we're not going to get on topic. him and, you know, Josh Allen the same type of way. But we had that. We also had him, you know, unfortunately, he threw a touchdown to Noah Gray, but because he held the ball so long on an RPO, an eligible man downfield, then yeah. he missed. I mean, he missed Jarek McKinney. He missed uh, Jody Forson on potential scores. And when you add it up at the end, Pacheco ended up having five carries inside the five-yard line last week. One of them went for a touchdown. And I know some of the other ones came at the end of the game, up 16, just trying to get out of there. But, man, weeks one through 11, the dude only had two carries inside the five-yard line. So I'm not saying he's going to get five every week from here on out. But at a minimum, that should show you that Pacheco is that guy in the number one ranked scoring offense. And, you know, again, not going to be five every single week moving forward. I do think in his next 10-game stretch, he'll have a hell of a lot more than two. So feeling good about that. Last point here, Kevin. How worried are you about the Juju Smith-Schuster usage? We did have Andy Reid come out afterwards and say that he was rotating in. They weren't exactly sure early in the week if he was going to be out there because now this week he's missing practice on Wednesday with an illness, which, hey, plenty of times we see the guy come out there on Thursday, full practice, don't even worry about it. But we did see Juju, number three on the team. I mean, didn't even run a route on 50% of Patrick Mahomes' dropbacks. I have him as wide receiver 24, so I'm not taking a huge stand 
hand on it at the moment because, man, before he got injured, this dude had ripped off three straight top 12 finishes. Yeah, I know. I'm not worried about the usage. It's just the worry that comes with this offense is the fact that we had uh, 10 different receivers in this game catch a pass. That won't always be the case, but, you know, the, we're, anyone from MVS, Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, McKinnon, Sky Moore, who's only still kind of rotating in, so maybe he can be phased out. Um, you're going to need more guys kind of phased out. Justin Watson can get some catches here and here and again. You mentioned the Noah Gray stuff. I guess you just need more guys phased out to really be able to trust them from a floor perspective, these receivers. And I just don't know if that's going to happen because it's probably not necessary to do so and still have a top-end offense for the Chiefs. And feeling good about this matchup specifically, though. I know the Bengals have pretty good overall team pass defense metrics, but I talked about kind of how I thought they have gotten lucky. I know it's week 13, but you look at the quarterbacks they've been able to face this year. I'm just not overly convinced, especially without Chidobi Awuzie in there. And he's obviously been out for quite some time. That this really is an elite pass defense and specifically against wide receivers aligned out of the slot, bottom seven group and passer rating yards per attempt and explosive pass play rate alike. Second place, Los Angeles Chargers sitting here at six and five, favored by one and a half points this week as they travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders. 50 and a half point game total. Gotta love that. So I did a little study here where, you know, as I'm watching the games on Sunday, usually I'm tracking sheeshes and just asking myself questions that hopefully I can answer with data at some point. And with Justin Herbert, man, it was just a matter of seeing like how much more is he like kind of having, how much more does he have to put the team on his back, you know, like Greg Jennings and your typical quarterback out there so i took basically every single team's pff rushing receiving pass blocking and run blocking grade so everything that doesn't have to do with the quarterback specifically to see who actually has the best and worst supporting casts and the bottom five supporting casts in the league in terms of those averages the broncos the cardinals the chargers the colts and the rams so i thought i added up with what we were seeing where justin herbert we can talk about the average target depth we can talk about his win loss record the wide receiver room, we were kind of hoping they would have added a third true field-stretching guy even before Jalen Guyton, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams have been forced to miss all this time. Gerald Everett comes in and gives them a nice spark. He's been banged up. They can't run the ball. They pretty much stopped trying to run the ball. The offensive line certainly dealing with their fair share of issues as well. And, oh, yeah, Justin Herbert continues to play through this rib injury that we usually forget about, you know, once we just kind of settle into the fact that he is still out there and trying to give it a go. So, Man, Justin Herbert, like this year, again, hasn't really been, some people were calling for MVP, like he's going to be better than Mahomes at this point. Clearly haven't gotten there, but I would not say this has been, you know, a step back for Herbert at all. What say you? No, I mean, maybe modestly. Uh, you never know how much depend on the quarterback, how much depend on the surroundings. There have been some worrying stuff, um, but it's probably offensive line related more than anything else is that, He's taken 11 sacks in the last three weeks after weeks one through nine. He only took 10 sacks. That was one of the things that was helping to keep drive alive that he hasn't been able to do recently. And it's keeping down his you know yards per drop back, at least when you start to mix in those sacks yards lost. So that's bringing him down a little bit here. Uh, they're pretty lucky to win that game uh, last week. I actually thought the Cardinals uh, played a little bit better and probably should have been the winner of that game there. But you're right that he hasn't had a lot of help. I think Keenan Allen is starting to maybe not hitting that age cliff, but the age and injury stuff is catching up with him a bit there. If you have an offense where, you know, I mean, I guess in fantasy, if you have Austin Eckler, you're glad to see him get 15 targets. But trust me, you're not going to have like a dynamic high scoring type of offense when that when that happens. So 
it's tough. It's tough for Herbert this year. It's a slog. And then you have uh, Brandon Staley, who's now heel turn, heel turn on analytics Twitter. Now he refuses to go for it on obvious go for situations when he was probably too risky in the other direction last year. On the season, Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, and Austin Eckler, only four players with at least 80 receptions. Yeah, the dude's basically a wide receiver playing running back, and it's pretty damn great in fantasy football, which rewards, of course, one full point per reception, zero per carry, unless you're in a really messed up league, and shame on you if you are in a points per carry league. My freaking goodness. Final point here is, ever since Keenan Allen has been back, obviously Mike Williams tried to return, quickly got injured, so we have Eckler leading the way with 17 targets over the past two weeks, then Keenan Allen with 15, Josh Palmer with 15, and DeAndre Carter with 12 coming off the good performance. So, look, I think Eckler and Keenan, who's a top 20 receiver for me, need to be in the majority of lineups. And this is a potential shootout here against the Raiders. Do you have a feel on Palmer versus Carter, Kevin? Are they just both just fine enough flexes? And we're probably talking about them a little too much as it is. I mean, I'd still lean Palmer, I guess, just from draft capital, more of a prototype guy who could gather up targets in this sort of offense. Finally, moving on to the Raiders. Just talked about this matchup again, home versus the Chargers, where the Raiders are one and a half point dogs. Josh Jacobs coming off one of the best performances. I mean, not just of the season of any running back that we've seen really in quite some time, if not forever. That said, he is dealing with this calf injury that, I mean, he got ruled. Obviously, he got downgraded last week on Friday. So it seemed to be an issue that was newfound going to last week's game. And then in that fourth quarter, like he got ruled questionable to return. And then by the time you looked up to see if he was out there you know he's taking it 80 plus yards to the house to seal the game so maybe he should but, injure his other calf and he could get like 600 yards this week about to say oh uh, there's another joke about that a uh, pff brad actually noted that jj watt leads the nfl in pressures since uh, week seven and jj found it and was like yeah i should get my uh, heart shocked more often it sounds like so <laughs> god i love these guys uh playing through the pain uh having fun with it but look josh jacobs obviously if he's out there you're starting him without a second thought if we do lose josh jacobs so this is a Chargers defense that, my goodness, to say the run defense has been bad this year is putting it mildly. The numbers actually shocked me looking at it. And, yeah, a lot of it has had to do with Joey Bosa getting injured. But since Bosa got hurt, rushing yards allowed per game, 151, 131, 213, 98, 213, 201, 157, 163, and 181. I mean, they're clearing 100, if not 200 more weeks and not with ease against this defense. So if we aren't going to have Jacobs, I do give the edge towards Zamir White, but I tend to think this will start to look a little bit more like those muddled Patriots committees that I honestly thought we were going to see in this offense from the beginning. I would have a hard time getting Zamir White higher up than more of like a, you know, mid tier RB3. What would you think about this offense with known Josh Jacobs? Yeah, I think it would be a role-specific split. Um, I don't know. I'd be pretty high on White, though, if only because I know Jacobs has had the role of everything here, but still, if you just look at his his rushing work, I mean, 227 attempts already this season, nine touchdowns, uh, averaging 5.3 yards per carry, which indicates, you know, he's playing well. He's breaking off some big runs, which isn't going to happen for everyone. But the offensive line is probably o- also playing well. The offense generally is probably also generating enough uh, first downs and continued series to get more carries. So who knows? Zamir White could be an interesting guy at 215 pounds. Even though he's a rookie, he's definitely going to profile as the guy who takes the early down work. Would you play him over Brian Robinson? That's probably about right where he is. I think I would, although Robinson had a good week last week, so most people probably would not. 
He's he's gonna be right around that RB two borderline. I mean, from RB twenty three to RB twenty eight, I have Pacheco, Jamal Williams, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson, Latavius Murray, and Brian Robinson. So that's about the group of guys that he will be squeezing in there. Obviously, loving Devontae Adams, even in this shadow matchup against Asante Samuel Jr., which he won in style back in Week One. Matt Collins and Foster Moreau are at least full time guys if you are desperate on the waiver wire. Takes us to the main event, Kevin. Our three and eight Denver Broncos in Baltimore this week. Ravens are favored by seven points. Again, just a 38 and a half point game total. So the big news here, the only thing to really talk about is the fact that only half of the team allegedly went to Russell Wilson's birthday party. I called out the Broncos Twitter account yesterday because, I mean, it took them until noon, 1230, I think, to even wish Russ a happy birthday in the first place. Not saying my tweet had anything to do with it. Also not saying that it didn't have anything to do with it out there, Kevin. So thoughts on what this means, man. We got the defense yelling at Russ, not even going to his birthday party. How are we adjusting the ranks here? Yeah, I don't know. This is a hard one here. And what happened was uh, we had the PFF Research and Development Group go into the numbers here. There's not a huge sample when it comes to this, but we went to calculate uh, our new stat. We have a new stat here. It's called the BPAOE which is the birthday party attendance over expectation for this particular game. A lot of different factors come into this, though, because let's face it, if you have too many people show up to the birthday, one of the common problems is you don't have the bathroom capacity to deal with all these people. But we well know by now that Russell Wilson has not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but 12 bathrooms in this house. So there is ample bathroom there, which boosts the expectation well above 50%. And then when you also bring in a new metric, there's a new metric that I put together personally on this, um, which is, you know, Sierra is doing this party. It's the big mansion. It's everything else is going on here. Another uh, input into the model is the IGPOE, which is the Instagram post engagement opportunity, which is through the roof for a party like this, which would also boost your attendance here. So we should have been seeing somewhere in the neighborhood of 75%. So we're 25% under expectation for this party. Not looking good for Russell Wilson. One of the best uh, running bits of the football season goes out to our former uh, employee with us, Kent. Kent Wyrach. I can never say his last name right. I'm sorry, Kent, but follow him on Twitter at Kent, W-E-Y-R-A-U-C-H. He's got, you know, hey, I- I'm not a big R guy, Kevin. I-, I-, I shit on R every now and then because you know, why take four hours to do something? Why take four minutes to do something in Excel when you can take four right. hours? There's no grind. It? There's no you grit. Know? There's no grit for sure. Exactly. But Kent has a fantastic, it's his pinned tweet. It's literally the, does Russ have as many passing touchdowns as bathrooms in his house? And it's just a straight line of toilets where Russ is passing touchdowns, still not able to get up there. And the pace isn't looking good, man. Only on pace to throw 13 touchdowns this year. He's never finished below 20. So yeah, it's been horrendous. 32nd in points per game, 30th in EPA per play, dead at last in touchdown drive percentage as well. So yeah, Cortland Sutton, no Judy, no Hamler. Tim Patrick's been out since the summer. He's had three straight wide receiver three weeks he dropped a touchdown last week hey if you're into having a wide receiver three on a terrible offense okay not a must-start option the only thing to talk about is what to make of Latavius Murray getting a true workhorse role we did see Mike Boone get his practice window activated we're not sure if he's going to be out there the problem is man again we talked about this last week Latavius Murray is terrible at the one thing we'd expect him to be good at picking up yards after contact he is the single worst running back in the league in that 
I hate when people penalize players for making big plays. So I'm going to give Latavius credit for that 51-yard run. It wasn't straight through the line. It wasn't Jamichael Hasty or James Robinson S. some of those early season Jaguars runs. He had to make the safety miss in the hole, and they ran for an extra 40 yards. That said, I'm not necessarily thinking in this offense we're going to see that many more explosive runs because we haven't seen those all season long. With that said, Kevin, if you were getting 80% snaps and 15-plus touches in the NFL, we'd at least have to talk about it. So Latavius Murray, my RB 27 on the week that is giving him a big drop off compared to his usage, which is more so like someone say Dave Montgomery, who I have ranked 10 spots higher. Am I being a Broncos hater? And should I be paying more attention to Murray's pretty elite usage? Uh, no, I don't think you're being a hater. Again, we're talking about a ranking perspective here versus maybe a range of outcomes type of perspective. Whenever you're getting that sort of usage, there is at least some chance. Now, it's not a high chance. It's not uh, something that's probable. But there's always some chance that you just hit something where Russell Wilson may be motivated by the lack of attendance at his birthday party. <laughs> I'm not sure what can happen. Can go forward and they could actually score some points. And if they score some points, then you got ceiling outcomes that he can access that a lot of running backs can't. Effort. We'll give them our official sleeper bounce back players of the week. As Kevin said, this isn't going to motivate Russ. I mean, what will at this point? And maybe just maybe. The problem is he might be dead. Is that sleeper? It's like a coma player, player of of the week. Go ahead, sorry. Speaking of our lovely sleeper league, I didn't notice Kevin your team name, which is uh, pretty fantastic over there in our PFF league. I am free Duke Johnson because you know free Duke Johnson. Of course, Kevin is uh, leading the habitual line steppers, but be. Be careful, Kevin. I lost, I, though. I finally lost. What can you say? Well, I finally realized our waivers were on Tuesday, not Wednesday, which it's <laughs> – come on. Waiver wire Wednesday. Alliteration. Michael Carter. What Michael we, Carter let me down. What are we doing here? But your boy got the Sean Watson to help fill that Justin Fields hole. So sitting here at five and seven, don't let me get hot. Dangerous team in the playoffs, just like Ryan Day said about our fallen Ohio State Buckeyes. Hey, we'd be a dangerous team in that top four, Kevin. The Ohio State Buckeyes and the fighting free Duke Johnsons alike. Are you so, one of these insane Ohio State fans who thinks because Ryan Day is 0-2 against Michigan that they ha- he has to be replaced already? No, but my, maybe you can give a play calling duties to someone else. I mean, my God, it has been terrible. How many I've just heard people say, if you can't beat Michigan, I'm like, it's been two, it's two opportunities. I mean, I understand who cares. Like you replace it with someone else and you get some good juju in there or something, I guess. But I just think it's funny. Fans, like college fans – probably more insane than NFL fans with a lot of this stuff. He's like 46 and five. I think he's only <laughs> lost to like top five ranked teams uh, out there. So, but he can't beat him. He can't. We've been proven. Hey, I was pretty mature. Two times. I had uh, over two, you know, the, I, I had all the family over. They came down to Cincinnati for the, uh, uh, you know, Thanksgiving at the Hardest's house. I had the, you know, watching the game with my future, uh, you know, mother and father-in-law there. So I was trying to be on my uh, best. That, behavior. That's quite an obligation. I have to say trying to be on my best behavior, you know, with uh, people I actually, who I actually care about what their opinion is of me. And I, I threw one empty beer. It was an empty beer can. I threw that off the wall. I might have let out some curse words, but that's not bad, man. One empty no, beer can no. off the as wall. As long as yeah. it wasn't like a deflection into the mother, future mother-in-law's yeah, head good. or some we're one of good. those sort of situations, I think you're okay. I think you're the, okay there. Dogs are doing their typical cowering in Saturday <laughs> afternoon that they're used to at this point. But yeah, there's our uh, sleeper ad of the day so thanks sleeper always my favorite place to go play redraft dynasty alike and yeah please ryan day just figure it out at some point that's all yeah yeah 
All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the AFC edition of this podcast. If you liked it, guess what? Kevin and I will be back in five minutes recording the NFC edition. Might be a little shorter because we have two buys. Might be longer. I don't really know. Either way, we'll have more good content on the way, as you do every week at PFF.com. Kevin, as well as on the Unexpected Points podcast. You know, grinding, man, I have not been doing the primetime reviews you know that's definitely something i would look into doing more so next year but you're always out there you know friday morning and tuesday morning going through what just happened on those games so kudos to you for uh, keeping the grind going and let the people know what else you got going on from a content perspective yeah yeah the podcast three times a week i was on an interview with espn seth walder who is a analytics writer over there talking about their new receiver metric um, that they have, which is pretty interesting, pretty high on Deontay Johnson uh, of a lot of different people. That What's the metric there? Um, they use the tracking data to come up with a wide receiver score. They score wide receivers based upon how open they are at the time of throw and at the time of catch. They give them a rating versus how often they're like their catch score, how often it's kind of like contested catch slash not dropping the ball essentially. And then they have a yak score, which 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 all you know grinds up into a total score. So as far as open score is concerned, Deontay Johnson's like a top guy every year. This year, I think AJ Brown is number one, and then Stefan Diggs is in that score. Tyler Lockett right near the top so there's some interesting guys and for instance jacoby myers who i know you love uh he was identified very early as an open score type of guy there so it's an interesting metric they is it on all routes all routes or just targets all routes they're looking at all the all the different routes there so it's all hosted at 538 you can look in the per season basis and and everything else like so we talked about not only the how it works but kind of potential applications for that on the midweek episode of the pod and then I have all the uh, the showdown content for the Island games to look at, including, of course, Buffalo and New England coming up this Thursday. Always a great day to be great with the showdown slates. Make sure you check those out. That rhymed. Hey, there we go. Another <laughs> catchphrase, Kevin. Just uh, just taking over the game here. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, shadow breakdowns, mismatch, mismatch manifesto, and of course, my sheesh report each and every week at pff.com if you aren't getting enough love from our podcast. We continue to pump out five times a week. And guess what? Once the season's over, might be going down to you know only one or two actual episodes in terms of focusing on the playoff action. But I have already convinced Kevin to come back on and do a bunch of exit interviews for each and every team, which I'm very much looking forward to getting done. So fantasy football over in four weeks, but not the PFF fantasy football podcast. Appreciate all you guys, uh, you know, listening. We've been getting the Spotify unwrapped, uh, you know, stuff going on. And I've already had a couple of you reach out and show that you are, you know, this has been one of your favorite podcasts. So truly do appreciate that. And yeah, you know, I know it's always a grind in the season. We've been trying to become more interactive with the live shows, but always one of our biggest goals because without you guys, obviously none of this is possible. So truly thank you. And thank you for tuning into another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So for Kevin, I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.